So I'm very, very excited. Today is our third installment of our Financial One Things process. And this Financial One Things series, we're going to give a 10-part series based on the book of Psalms, chapter 112. And that 12th chapter of 112, uh, Psalm 112, has 10 verses. And I'm going to preach a message on each of those 10 verses. So if you, always, if you ever want to know where I'm going next week, just look at the next verse in the series. So the last two Sundays, we looked at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commandments. Verse 2, his descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Today we're looking at verse 3, and here it is. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Say it together. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. One more time. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, I want you to look somebody in the eye and and preach this verse to him right now. Wealth and riches are in his house. Look somebody else in the eye and preach it. Go. Amen. Amen. Now, before I get into this message this morning, I want to make known to you that I have two other very powerful resources that are going to help you as we go through this process. First of all, I do a morning devotion on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. Typically comes out between 5 and 7 a.m. And these morning devotions are designed to... Uh, to encourage you to reflect on the teaching that I give each Sunday in a way that stimulates spiritual growth. So I'm going to reflect on themes that I talk about in this message today in a morning devotion on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning this week. And, and you'll get that in your email inbox. That email will hit your inbox, and, and what it'll do is just give you a little bit of encouragement, something to meditate on throughout the day to keep, you st- to keep stimulating your heart and mind to draw closer to the Lord as we consider these things. Now, you can subscribe to receive that email by going to my personal website, BenjaminIsraelRobinson.com. Benjamin Israel, Israel, Israel is spelled I-S-R-A-E-L. Not I-S-R-E-A-L. People ask that all the time. BenjaminIsraelRobinson.com, and you can subscribe in the right sidebar. Uh, there's a little fill-in form. You subscribe there, and you'll get it. My second uh, resource are my blog entries. On Tuesdays and Thursdays from now on, I'm going to be giving you blog entries that pick up issues that I touch on in the message that I don't have time to really fully unpack. I know a lot of times my messages leave you with a lot of questions, Uh, And I give you some answers, but I also leave you with a lot of questions. And so, number one, I want you to feel free to shoot me those questions. If there's something in the message that you want further uh, clarification on, feel free to shoot me a message. And my personal website is a great way to do that. You can actually even leave me a voicemail through your computer on my personal website, and I'll definitely get that and address the questions that you send me. But my blog entries Tuesdays and Thursdays are going to unpack issues that I don't have time to fully unpack in the message. So this week in the blog entries, I'm going to be dealing with the phenomenon that is known as the prosperity gospel. And I'm going to be asking the question, what is it and what are its strengths and weaknesses and where do I stand on the prosperity gospel? So if that interests you, you can check that out at my personal website. Now for the message. Wealth, riches, and righteousness. That's the name of today's message. The title of today's message. Wealth, riches, and righteousness. I want that just to settle in for a second. And I want you to come to grips for a moment with the fact that we are using the words wealth and riches in the same sentence that we're using the word righteousness. Wealth, riches, and righteousness. Is it actually possible to have all three of those things together? Because, see, I always thought that if you got some wealth and riches, it would take away your righteousness. Because, see, we've always been taught to be afraid of getting too much money. It might draw your heart away from the Lord. To be afraid and definitely don't pursue money. Because, you know, money is the root of all evil. That's what Jesus said. Right? Money is the root of all evil. There is a common misconception in the body of Christ that money is evil. That money is the enemy of righteousness. And that in order to ensure that your heart remains pure before the Lord, 
you must make sure that you get as little money as possible. And when you get it, you need to get rid of it as quickly as you possibly can before it perverts your heart and turns your heart away from the Lord. Matter of fact, a very well-known evangelical preacher by the name of John Piper said that riches are almost always evil. Riches are almost always evil. But for some reason, those things do not apply to this man that the psalmist talks about in Psalm 12. This man, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. That is, his financial prosperity has not created a spiritual poverty in his heart or mind. His financial prosperity has not impacted his spiritual condition. Matter of fact, for all of his wealth and riches, he is more spiritually wealthy than he is materially wealthy because his righteousness endures forever. His wealth doesn't endure forever. His riches don't endure forever, but his righteousness endures forever. And when it says that his righteousness endures forever, it means two things. Number one, it means that no matter how much money he got, he did not compromise his integrity before the Lord. His righteousness endures forever. He did not backslide in the midst of his wealth. He didn't get so rich that at a certain point he got boastful in his heart and mind. He didn't get so wealthy that he stepped out of line with God. You see, the word righteous literally means to be in right relationships with both God and man. This man is both wealth and wealthy and rich, and yet his righteousness, that is his right relationship with God and with man, remains intact for the rest of his life. His riches did not cause him to walk away from the Lord. I remember when I was, a t- when I was teaching at, in a Bible college, and, and one of the students, uh, his family was extremely wealthy, and they lived up in, in Fremont, and he invited us all to his house one night. And we went over his house, and they lived in this like $7 million dollar estate, right? Really nice house. We walked in and there was these, these, uh, marble tile floors and each tile was like, like five foot by five foot. I mean, these humongous marble and then this beautiful hardwood floor going up the stairs and it had like eight, 18 bedrooms. I don't know. And there was a guest house that was bigger than my regular house, like two, three times bigger than my, I mean, it was like wealthy. And I remember one of my students, he was walking through and he was going, oh, the Lord knows better than to give me something like this. Oh, the Lord better not give me something like this. And he looked at me and smiled. He said, I wouldn't be saved if this was my house. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even be walking with the Lord if this was my house. Oh, the Lord knows he couldn't bless me with this because I I wouldn't even be saved. And I kept thinking, what are you talking about? What kind of foolishness? I mean, if all you need is a little money to walk away from the Lord, I wonder if you're saved now. If you get a little little bit of money and you know now, you're telling me right now that you would backslide if the Lord blessed you? You need to get saved now. I mean, you can't tell me that he washed you in the blood of his son, that he forgave you of your sins. He adopted you as his sons and daughters. He set you at his right hand in Christ, far above all power and principality, dominion and might, and broke the stronghold of the devil off of your life, and you're going to walk away from that for a few dollars. I used to be afraid for years. That if God ever blessed me financially, that it would rob me of my spiritual integrity. That I would begin to worship it. That it would begin to turn my heart away from the Lord. And then God blessed my wife and I with a five-bedroom house. Well, first a six-bedroom house. And I remember at first when we moved into that house, I thought, oh, this is glorious. But within about two weeks, you know what it was? A house. I mean, isn't that the nature of even the finest things in life? Even if you say, man, if I had a Bentley, I don't know if I'd be saved. You know what that Bentley would be in about two, three weeks? A car. I remember I got so excited, I got a $700 dress shirt years ago when I was excited about clothes. You remember that whole season? And I I had to have this $700 dress shirt. Of course, I didn't pay $700 for it. (laughs) I bought it used for $50. (laughs) 
But I was so excited. It was a $700 dress shirt. I was so excited. I went home and I put it on. And you know what it was? A shirt. I can't tell it apart from any other shirt in my closet. It's just a shirt. You know? Some cloth sewn together. That's all it is. And, and when we begin to understand these things, we stop fearing blessing. Amen. See, because for most of us in this place, you think you need more money. You need, just simply need to open your heart to the blessing of the Lord and stop thinking that the blessing of the Lord is going to rob you of your place in the kingdom. Stop thinking that it's going to shift your heart or, or, or thinking that God is, is taking bless, financial blessing away from you because he knows that it's going to mess you up. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. And the first thing that means is that throughout his entire life, this man is able to possess both wealth and righteousness, and it does not compromise his relationship with God, and neither does it taint his relationship with people. Because money can make men funny. But not this man. The second thing it means is that he understands that righteousness has import both for this life and the life to come. That righteousness has eternal implications, but wealth and riches are for this life only. Because when you get into the kingdom of God, God's not going to say, everybody who made more than $500,000 a year, this is your wing. (laughs) And everybody who made less than $100,000, this is your wing. And everybody who's on welfare, you guys are over here. God will not separate us economically when we get into the kingdom of heaven. As awesome as wealth and riches are, they're for this life only. They're temporary. They're fleeting. And that's why they are never our source of security. They're at best our opportunity for generosity. Wealth and riches are in his house. Let me, how we, let me tell you how we interpret that in the 2014 Christian population in the Western world. Wealth and riches are at his job. Because if you talk to the average believer about the next step for their finances, the first thing they'll say is, well, I got to get a better job. Well, I need to find a job. We equate the possession of wealth with climbing some corporate ladder and getting some job. And oftentimes, believers in Jesus Christ will lose their job and then sit at home and do nothing for a year or two years or three years. Because if somebody is not telling me what to do, I have no idea what to do. So I do nothing. But the scripture says wealth and riches are in his house, not at his job, not in somebody else's house. See, when we talk about blessing, blessing is not what somebody gives you for free. Blessing is not something that drops into your lap out of heaven. Blessing is not something that somebody else works to provide for you. Blessing is something that you rise up in your heart and lay claim to because God is holding it out for you. I'm here to tell you that God has a blessing for you that only you can lay hold of. Your mama can't lay hold of it for you. Nobody can give it to you. You got to rise up and say in your heart, it's in my house. And God wants to open your heart to what is already in your house. Without anything having to be added to it, it's in your house. See, some of you got enough knowledge in your head right now to write books. You just got to write them. Some of you got enough melodies in your heart to record CDs. You just got to write them, but you're waiting for a job. When wealth and riches are in your house, but you're waiting for a job. Sit down and write the book. Sit down and write. You know what I love are the new companies, the new businesses that have been born at Living Hope in the last year. Man, that just, you know, when I see Trifi Cakes, Trifina Malay, who who makes Trifi Cakes and big diaper cakes, you know, for... Man, oh, you, know, you know, when you have a baby, it's a great gift yeah. to give a child. Order a trifle cake. Yeah, yeah. Not a trifling cake, a trifle cake. <laughs> and then there's P31 cakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
right, P31 cake, Sharon Ortiz. Order them desserts, man. Those desserts are wonderful. You know, and then there's, and then there's Sliver Pizzeria. Come on, if that's not a Cinderella story, I never heard one before. That is a ghetto Mexican Cinderella story. I mean, this dude, he was like, all I know how to do is make pizza, so I'm going to make pizza for the Lord. And I'm going to fight the fight against human trafficking in the earth. And he opened a restaurant, and guess what happened? All of a sudden, you could see that these we- this wealth and riches had been in his house all the time. He just didn't know how to organize it until God gave him a vision. Now, here's the key. I, I know, now, you- y'all know me. Some of y'all know me. But the ones of you that know me, you know I always got an idea for somebody. I always got a business idea for you. Here's what you need to do. You need to do this. And you know what makes me crazy? Nobody do the, the stuff that I tell them to do. Nobody does it. Three months later, you still broke. You ain't done nothing. Still praying, I need a job. I said, I gave you the idea. But wait, 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 wait. Before you judge them. I was talking to Pastor Daniels the other day. I told him, I said, you know, I've been giving people ideas for years and nobody does it. And he said, Benjamin, that's because you've overstepped your boundaries. I said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? He said, Benjamin, God will give you vision for your house. And God will give you vision for living hope. But don't you dare go into another man's house and give him vision. And say, this is the business you should be doing. You over, don't be getting in nobody's business like that. That's none of your business. You've overstepped your boundaries. He said, if you think you need to give somebody a vision, you don't believe the Lord can give them a vision. You're trying to be the Holy Ghost. He said, you need to go back to those people and say, listen, I'm sorry for giving you vision. You know what? I believe God's going to give you a vision. And it might have nothing to do with selling sandwiches like I told Anthony to do. <laughs> may have nothing to do with blogging like I probably told 90% of y'all to do (laughs) making dolls like I told Vern and Larry Ann to do what you need is a website to sell some dolls the vision the Lord gives you may have nothing to do with what I told you so right now I'm letting everybody off the hook whatever vision I gave you feel free to throw it in the garbage But you know what I want you to do? I want you, number one, to get a vision for the finances of your household. Now, in order to get a vision for the finances of your household, you have to get an accurate picture of what you actually need. And when I'm talking about what you actually need, I'm talking about what you need to live, what you need to give, and what you need to leave an inheritance to your children. Those are your three things that you got you to gotta get this. What you need is what you need to live, what you need to give, and what you need to leave an inheritance to your children. Now, follow me here. A lot of times people might say, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I need $5,000 a month to live. And the Lord blessed me with $5,000. I'm good. Yeah, but you haven't given nothing. And you haven't put anything aside to leave an inheritance for your children. You need more than that. Well, I'm being, being greedy if I ask for more. No, you're not. You're robbing your children of their inheritance if you don't ask for more. You need to cut. Listen, I dare say, I dare say for everybody in this room, whatever you think you need to live, the Lord wants to give you double that. Whatever that number is in your mind, you need to double it in your mind right now. You need to double. say, I need 5,000. No, put $10,000 on that paper. Say, well, I need 10,000. Put 20,000 on that paper. No, that's fat. That's so greedy. No, it's not. It's only greedy if you're thinking materialistically about it. See, the thing you need to understand is greed only comes into play in the context of the poverty mindset. Is it freezing in here? I see some people shivering. How many are cold? Lift lift up a hand right now. Okay, turn that turn that down. Turn that down. No, we can't we can't be freezing to women because us fellas got extra, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can't be freezing the women to death in here. You know, if you're married, you know your wife needs it about 15 degrees hotter than you do. And you just got to deal with it. <laughs> Wear less clothes. The thing, the thing you got to understand is that the greed mentality only comes into play 
in the context of the poverty mindset. Now, I know there's a lot of talk about the spirit of poverty, but actually the spirit of poverty, I'm not worried about him. You know what I'm worried about is the poverty mindset. See, if it's a spirit of poverty, you just need to go into a room and let somebody cast it out of you. What do you do with demons? You cast them out. That's all you do with the devil. If it's a spirit of it, come out. There, you're free. In Jesus' name, you're free. But if you go home and still think that way, now you can be in the same bondage. You might as well have a demon because you're going to do the same stuff. You're going to be in the same. But your problem is not the devil. Your problem is the way you think. Poverty is a culture. And when we're talking about going back to the blessing, we're talking about the migration or even the immigration, we might say, from the land of poverty to the land of wealth. And when you get there, there's going to be some culture shock. You're not going to speak the language. You might not like the food. It might make you sick to your stomach. You won't understand the norms and the way. See, a culture is the sum total of beliefs, values, and behaviors of a specific people group. If you look at the phenomenon of poverty, there's a group of beliefs that undergird it and a group of values that undergird it and a group of behaviors that flow out of those beliefs and values. And foundational to the belief system of the spirit of poverty is that I'm broke I'm always going to be broke, and there's nothing I can do about it. That is the the foundational belief that substantiates the spirit of poverty. Now, when you believe you're broke and that you'll always be broke and you can't do anything about it, then brokenness becomes your comfort zone. You've heard about uh, women. I mean, we see this in psychology that women who were battered by their fathers end up marrying men who batter them. Even though they hated it when their fathers battered them and they hate it when their husbands battered them, but they're so used to being battered that they very naturally fell for a guy who could recapitulate the experience of their childhood for them. Meaning, I don't like it, but it's my comfort zone. I'm used to it. And I've seen young ladies who go from man to man to man, and every single one of them beats them up. And they say, I don't understand what it is. Am I cursed? No, you're not cursed. It's just you tend to fall in love with guys that you know will reproduce for you what you grew up with, your comfort zone. They're going to beat you up. And until you change your mind, you're not going to be attracted to anything else. Because when they see a man who's going to treat them right, they don't think anything of him. But they can smell out a potential batterer from a mile away. Ooh, he is fine. Well, it's like that with poverty. Poverty becomes your comfort zone. And you're so comfortable with poverty that anytime you get a little bit of money, the first thing you think is, how quickly can I spend this so that I can get back to being broke again? Because that's what I value is being broke. I value it so much that I've got to spend. If you put $5 in my hand, I think, can I buy Snickers? I can buy five Snickers bars. I got to get back to broke. I'm not used to having any money. I don't think I should have any money. You give somebody who's, at, who's got a um, poverty mindset, you give them a check for $10,000 and just see their eyes light up. You know what their eyes are lighting up for? They're thinking of all the things they can buy with that $10,000. And they're typically going to buy something that costs $40,000 and they're going to put that $10,000 on it. So what you really just did was, was plunge them with $10,000. You plunge them into deeper poverty. Are you with me? Yes. I've seen it happen. There was such a, a precious, beloved member of this congregation who is no longer here, who was the brokest person you ever met, and got blessed with a lump sum of money. And it was substantial. And I begged them to please put it in some kind of investment instrument. Do not squander it. And they smiled at me and were broke 45 minutes later. And if I told you what they spent it on, you would fall out of your chair right now. But they spent it on foolishness. Let's just put it that way. They spent it on foolishness. Because I got to be broke. I just have to be broke. No, you don't understand. I'm so comfortable being broke. See, I know how to do broke. See, my people have been broke for generations. And so when you give me something, I got to figure out how to get back to the land of brokenness. Listen, we're trying to go to the land of blessing, but you got to get up out of that land of brokenness and go to the place that God wants to show you. And he wants to show you how to keep something. 
You already know how to spend something. Now learn how to keep something. Okay. You with me? So wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Now there's a couple of caveats that we need to address here. Because the fact that the Bible promises wealth and riches to the righteous... The, the fact that this, this biblical promise we're looking at here today says that if you fear the Lord, if you take great delight in his commands, your children will be mighty in the land and wealth and riches will be in your house. This is a promise. It's a promise from God. I mean, this is in the Bible. And this is the thing people like to do is people like to take the, the, the promises of money in scripture and spiritualize them. There's going to be spiritual wealth and riches in my house. Even though we're going to be broke financially, there's going to be spiritual wealth and riches. Listen, the Bible says that as a man sows, so shall he reap. Which means you're going to reap what you sow. Do not think that you're going to sow a financial offering and reap a spiritual blessing. Don't you think that for a second. If all all you had to do was put money in the plate to get a, a spiritual blessing... You'd be paying financially and reaping spiritually. No, you're going to get a, if if you sow, if you need a spiritual blessing, you need to sow spiritually. Go get in your prayer closet and speak in tongues for a while. Pray on it till the Lord breaks you through. Get some promises out of the scripture and stand. Listen, you got to sow to the spirit to reap from the spirit. But if you sowed a financial seed, then expect to reap a financial harvest. I mean, that's what it means. As a man sows, so shall he reap. So don't be spiritualizing the blessing of the Lord. However, there's a couple caveats. I've been trying to get to this. Now, we got to talk about the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 30. Jesus is walking with his disciples. And all of a sudden, this rich young ruler comes and approaches him and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, which commandments? She's like, you don't know the commandments? Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Honor your parents. Remember the Sabbath. You know, those commandments. And he goes, well, I've kept all of them since my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus says, ah, there's one more thing you left out. What's that? Sell all of your possessions. Give all the money to feed the poor. Come follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. And the scripture says that the man turned away in sorrow because he had great possessions. Now watch. Jesus stands and watches the man walk away, and he turns to his disciples and says, How difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Assuredly, I say to you that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we got to talk about this for a second. The eye of a needle. It has been often said that there was an ancient gate in Palestine that was called the eye of a needle. And it was called the eye of the needle because it was really difficult for camels to get through. And you had to take all of the baggage off of your camel. And your camel had to get down on his knees and crawl through this narrow gate. And preachers have preached on this for year, for decades and said, Jesus is saying that first, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you got to let down all your baggage. Because some of you are trying to take baggage into the kingdom with you. you got to let it down. And then you got to get on your knees. And you got to pray yourself into the kingdom. Well, let me tell you that that has nothing to do with this text whatsoever. Because that gate called the eye of the needle did not exist when Jesus said this. You know what Jesus was talking about? You ever seen a needle before? You know that little tiny hole in the top of the needle? That's what he was talking about. He said it's easier to pull a camel through this little hole than it is to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. In in other words, he wasn't saying it's hard. He was saying it's impossible. It's impossible. Now, the disciples immediately jumped to the right conclusion. 
Because they say, Peter immediately responds, Lord, then who can be saved? What Peter understood was that if this applies to the rich man, and riches happen according to degrees. Everybody in this room is rich to a certain degree. If you have any possessions whatsoever, those pos- if you own a shirt and a pair of pants, that is the state of your riches. And the disciples said, that means nobody can get in. Lord, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, good job, Peter, you figured it out. With man, it's impossible. Nobody can be saved. But with God, all things are possible. You hear what Jesus was saying? He wasn't simply saying it's real hard for rich people to get in. He was saying it's impossible for anybody to get in. But with God, all things are possible. However, Jesus was alluding to the fact that it is easier to get poor people saved than it is to get rich people saved in general. I mean, go up to Beverly Hills and preach the gospel door to door. And then go down to the Lockwood Projects and preach the gospel door to door and tell me where you have more success you're going to have more success in the hood than you are in the hills why is that it's easier to get poor people saved because they have a financial or economic analogy to their spiritual reality you see when you're preaching the gospel you have to convince people that they are spiritually bankrupt and there's nothing they can do about it You are spiritually poor. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't embrace your spiritual bankruptcy, you don't get anything from God. It starts by coming before God. Every one of you that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you started by going before God and saying, God, my righteousness are as filthy rags. I don't care how many good deeds I ever did. I am completely bankrupt before you. I've got absolutely no right to claim anything and no strength to obtain anything. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, when you are poor and you've been poor for generations, it's easy to accept that because your economic situation reflects it. The way you feel economically, that's who you are spiritually. You feel powerless. If you feel powerless to do anything for your life and somebody comes and says, you know what? Just like you can't fix your financial situation, that's your spiritual life. But God wants to flip the script on your spiritual condition, and he wants to give you salvation as the free gift of his son. It's much easier to believe that. I had a friend who was evangelizing in a very wealthy area, and he said, I knocked on doors. I went door to door, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel. He said, I knocked on this one door. It's a big old house. And the man opened the door and says, yeah, what can, I, what can I do for you? I said, I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins, and that if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. And he said, the man smirked at me and said, do you know who you, where you are? Look around. Do any of us look like we need what you're talking about? Look, do you see this house? Do you see the cars? Why don't you go back over there to the projects? They probably need what you're talking about. The man says, I can't believe it. They think their money. See, it's real hard. If you are wealthy, and especially those who pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, so to speak. If you have a wealth mindset, you don't think anything's impossible. The wealth mindset teaches you, if you want to change your situation, change it. You got the power. You don't want to be broke? Go change. Go do something. Deliver some papers. Sell some Coke. Do something. Not cocaine. (laughs) Coca-Cola. I saw the look at some people's eyes like, that's a wealth mentality? Not that kind of a wealth mentality. But those that espouse a wealth mentality believe that they can change any component of their life that they want to change. Nothing is out of their control. And so when you say you're spiritually bankrupt and it's, it's impossible for you to change it, they say, Psh, look around. Look at what I got. And so sometimes God has to bankrupt rich people before they can see that now they have an economic analogy that corresponds to their spiritual reality. Sometimes you've got to hit rock bottom before you open your heart to God 
and recognize that you've always been at rock bottom. You just didn't know it until your external circumstances began to reflect it. (laughs) But the thing that we need to understand is that when Jesus says this, he's talking about getting in, not staying in. Did you hear that? He's talking about, he says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And so when he said to the man, sell everything you got and give it to the poor and come follow me, he understand that this man would never understand the riches of eternal life until he got rid of his earthly riches. This man would always cherish his earthly riches and never understand the depth of his spiritual inheritance until he got rid of his earthly riches. He didn't say this to everybody, but he said it to this man. For you, you got to get rid of everything before you can get saved. Not that getting rid of everything is the cost that you have to pay to get saved. The price was paid by the blood of Jesus, but it was a gift to this man. He says, if you want to understand eternal life, riches in heaven, you've got to have at least for a moment an economic analogy that corresponds to that spiritual reality. But what God wants you to know today is that once you get into the kingdom, now you need a new analogy. Because some of you are still living in that old analogy. You're looking around and your house has fallen apart. You open up your bank account and you hear crickets. You open up your wallet and there's nothing but an old receipt from CVS inside it. You, you know, you got nothing but credit card bills. You got nothing but de- And that's the analogy. And so you feel like you look at your economic situation and then you feel like, Lord, I thought you favored me. You're still thinking that your economic situation is an analogy for your spiritual reality. And you need to get a new analogy. That is, God wants to take some of that breakthrough that's happened in your heart and bring it in your finances so that you can look at your external situations and see the sign of what God has done on the inside of your heart. In other words, sometimes you need to be poor to get in, but you don't have to stay poor to stay in. You need a new analogy. Now, Jesus went on to say, the disciples said to him, they said, Lord, we left everything to follow you. What are we going to have? And he says, assuredly, I say to you that no one who for my sake has left behind fields and family and wives and children and fathers, nobody who's given up this stuff will fail to receive a hundredfold and eternal life. You hear that? In this life, I believe if that rich man would have given up everything and come and follow Jesus, God would have blessed him so abundantly he would have had a hundredfold. But now he would have valued his riches and wealth much differently because his righteousness would have endured forever. He would have understood the fear of the Lord. Listen, God is not personally invested in keeping you broke. But most many of us are personally invested in staying broke because we have a fear of wealth and a misunderstanding of what it means. You with me? Another passage of scripture we got to look at is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other or cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon means either money or wealth. Jesus says you cannot serve money and God. You can't serve God and money at the same time. And many people have looked at that verse and said, see, this means that if I really want to serve God, I got to completely forget about money. I got to stay as broke as I possibly can be so that I'm not serving money. Let me tell you something. There's only one way to see to it that you're not serving money. Get some. Because if you ain't got none and you realize that At your job, they're making decisions that compromise your morality and your integrity. But now you've got to wrestle with the desire to keep working there because you need the money. And when God calls you to go left or to go right, you have to think of the financial ramifications. In other words, you're serving money when you go where it tells you to go and do what it tells you to do. And as long as you need it, you'll be you'll be tempted to serve it. I'm not saying that having a job is the spirit of mammon. I'm not saying that you're serving mammon if you have a job. Keep that job. No, because I don't want anybody walking out of here and say, I'm doing what Pastor B said. I'm not serving mammon no more. I quit. And then you're going to be looking to me to pay your bills. Pastor, I did what you said and it didn't work. (laughs) See, I need you to help a brother out. (laughs) No, keep that job. What I'm saying is, That job should not be seen as your end all. You need to get a vision for getting out of the rat race. Now, some people have asked me, you know, what would you do? What would you do if you got money? I mean, if you wrote a book and it sold 10 million copies, 
and your royalty was 30 million copies, would you still serve the church? I looked at him. I'm like, are you crazy? I'd be in Hawaii. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know what that would do? It would take money completely out of the equation. I could serve the Lord with all my heart without even giving a thought to my personal provision. Now I know that I'm serving the Lord and not money because I don't need it. I would serve the Lord with all my... Listen, the rich man who filled his barns with plenty and then said to his soul, take ease, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow may never come. And the Lord said, you fool. You know why? Because for that man, money was the point. And when he got it, He said, I'm not doing anything else. In my mind and heart, it's the opposite. Can you imagine having no financial restraint over your life? God says, I want you to get on a plane and go to Cuba and preach the gospel and be there for three months. And you can get on a plane and go. God says, I want you to write a check and build a church in this city. And you can write the check and go. I mean, can you imagine having no financial restraints? You want to know how to not serve money? Make it serve you. I'm talking about make, do- make your dollar bills your slaves. Put chains around their necks and send them out into the cotton field and make them pick cotton for you day and night. And don't let them sleep at night. Make them work 24 hours a day. And when your dollars don't obey you, take out the whip and start whipping them. Down. Get back out there and go to work for me. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are too nice to your money. Too nice to your money. You're not making it work. You're working for it. Make it work for you. You need to learn how to mobilize your money. Make them your soldiers and send them to war on behalf of the kingdom of God. Every one of my dollar bills is a soldier that I've deputized. Now you get out there and go to war. Money go here and do this and it doesn't. Money go there and do this and it doesn't. But for most of us, money says to you, boy, get over here and do this. Uh, Yes, money. Yes, money. Now, boy, get over here and do this. Uh, Yes, money. Yes, money. Now, boy, get over here. And they say everybody's got their price. If they offered you enough money, what are the things that you would never do? That's the spirit of mammon. It's pretty tempting. You heard the one about the preacher. And this was a spirit-filled Bible-teaching preacher. But there was a, 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 a mafia hitman who died in his city. And that mafia hitman's brother came to him and said, I want you to preach my brother's funeral. He said, I ain't doing it. He said, I'll pay you a million dollars to preach my brother's funeral. And he got quiet for a second. He said, I'll pay you a million dollars. To come preach my brother's funeral and to say that he was a saint. He said, I'll do it. He went to that funeral and he stood up and he pointed at the man in the casket. He said, do you see what lies here before you? This man was the most vile, wicked, detestable, and horrid human being that ever walked planet earth. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. Sometimes the Lord gives you wisdom to get around stuff and still get that money. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you got to have discernment too. And I say that because I don't want you walking on your job and as soon as you hear something that's just a little bit off, I quit. You're not taking away my integrity. Sometimes the Lord will give you wisdom. Wealth. The word wealth, hon, the Hebrew word hon, say hon. It means substance. First of all, substance. Substance. Proverbs 3 9. Honor the Lord with your hon, with your substance, and with the first fruits of your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your fats, your vats burst with new wine. 
hone, wealth, substance is in his house. Substance. It's something that is substantial. It's tangible. It's, it's not simply an expectation of something to come. It's tangible. I possess it now. Whatever your substance is, it's what you have right now. It is your liquidity. And when we understand substance in this way, then we understand we've completely misunderstood what faith is. Because according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is not the anticipation of what you will have. It is the confident belief in what you do possess. It's possessing the substance of it in your heart and knowing that this is tangible, that I own this, that I have this. God promised it and it is mine. And hope is the expectation that it will manifest in your life. Wealth and riches are in his house. Hone, substance. It also means enoughness. Enoughness. Yes, I created that word. Enoughness. Enoughness is in his house. Enough. Do you have enough? Do you have enough? I mean, do you have enough right now? And I know we talked about being thankful for what you have, but you need to get a vision for enoughness. Because if what you have is not enough to live, to give, and to leave an inheritance, then you need to manifest more of your enoughness. You need to get a vision for it. You say, Do you have any children? I want to put my daughter. You know, I think that in every generation we should do just a little bit better than the previous generation. You know, my parents weren't able to pay for my college education, but I lived in their house for those four years. When I I moved down to, to Pasadena to go to seminary, they drove me down, moved me in, took me to Walmart and bought me everything I needed for my house. Cups and plates and silverware, stuff I didn't even know I needed. Without them, I'd have been down there eating out of my hand, you know. (laughs) my parents weren't able to pay for my college education but they did the best they could with what they had and what they did for me was better than what their parents were able to do for them well I'm going to do better than my parents did for me for my daughter I believe it's my responsibility to pay for her college education and I I not only want to pay for her college education but I want to give her some money so that she doesn't have to work while she's getting her college education I want to provide that for my daughter And she's going to do better for her kids than we did for her. That is, when I'm thinking about enoughness, I'm not thinking about what I need to pay my bills today. I'm thinking about what I need to put my daughter through college in 14 years. That's enoughness. Some of you aren't aren't thinking big enough to call it enough. You think you just need enough to be broke at the end of the month. Oh, thank the Lord. No, there's more wealth and riches in your house than that. you got to get a vision for enoughness enoughness, wealth, enoughness, riches, osher, osher, hon and osher, and riches is over and above enoughness. Wealth is enoughness, and when we talk about wealth being enoughness, it is a perpetual enoughness. It's not just enoughness for today. You can actually look at, how, at you, can, you can quantify your wealth by asking how much do I need over the, for the rest of my life? To live at the level that I want to live at. And when you have enough money to live at the level you want to live at for the rest of your life, you're wealthy. If you have enough for 60 days, you got 60 days worth of wealth. And then you got to go back to work. So if you have that enough, I've got enough for the rest of my life to leave an inheritance to my children. Over and above that is called riches. Osher. Not only wealth is in his house, but riches are in his house. Meaning God is not simply giving him enough. God is giving him more than enough. It's called lavish, extravagant blessing. That's what God has. Lavish, extravagant blessing are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Now when we're talking about a righteous wealth mentality, we must keep in mind Five financial principles for financial integrity that I want to give you. Because what I don't want is for anybody to leave this place fantasizing about money because I said it's okay in this message. This man's focus is not money. This man's focus is the fear of the Lord and delight in his commands. But in that context, as he opens his heart, God gives him a vision for more. And God wants to give you a vision for more. 
and he wants to give you wisdom to pursue it. Five financial principles. Are you ready? Number one, radical giving. Give big before you spend big. And the principle is this. Whatever you do first with your finances reveals what is first in your heart. Whatever you do first, if you get a million dollars and the first thing you do is go buy a Bentley, that tells me what was first in your heart. But if you honor the Lord first, if, if radical giving is your first priority, that says that God was first in your heart and mind. Number two, strategic kingdom investment. Strategic kingdom investment. I'm not just talking about investing money. I'm talking about investing money in the kingdom. I believe that there are end-time financiers that God is raising up in the body of Christ, and he's giving them big visions for big things that are not simply going to be financially lucrative, but that are going to be utilized for the kingdom of God. And strategic kingdom investment is the means by which those who have money empower those who have vision. Because God might not give you vision, but he might give you money. And if God gives you money, you better find some vision to empower. Man, I, Mel Tari, you guys remember Mel Tari? He came and preached here several times. He's been able to preach the gospel around the world because early on a businessman approached him and said, you know what, I want to serve God, but all I know is how to make money. I don't know how to preach, I don't know how to teach, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You preach and I'll make the money, and I'll give you money every month. And he gives Mel Tari every single month, he gives him money to travel with. Mel Tari can travel all over the world, anywhere he wants to go. This man pays for it, and he gives him money to support his household. He doesn't want for anything. Why? Because this man wanted to empower him to do the work of the kingdom of God. I believe there's going to be, there's going to be end time financiers that are going to finance the ministry that is going to take the gospel to the world and going to impact the world with the kingdom of God. But there's also going to be businesses. And I want to see twice as many businesses born in the house this year as we saw last year. I want to see more P31 cakes and trifi cakes and dessert extravaganzas and, and sliver pizzerias. I want to see more of those businesses being born in the house because God wants to give you the wisdom to do it. But I believe that in the body of Christ, and we're going to be talking more about how to do it, God is going to pair up those who have money with those who have vision so that we can see these kingdom visions come to pass. But we got to do it with wisdom. Don't just be throwing money at anybody who gives you a two-minute spiel about what they want to do tomorrow because they might be talking foolishness. We'll talk more about that another time. Number three, generational planning. Set aside what is necessary for the needs of your children. A righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. A right, a, a good man leaves an inheritance to, for his children's children. That is, think long-term sustainability, not short-term enjoyability. The spirit of the the poverty mindset thinks short-term enjoyability. The wealth mindset, the righteous wealth mindset, thinks long-term sustainability. Okay? You got it? Number four, reasonable conservatism. Reasonable conservatism. Recognize that even after being exceedingly generous, you're still highly privileged. And matter of fact, that goes for everybody in this room. There's nobody in this room that's not highly privileged compared to about 50% of the population of the world. I mean, if you got running water, you are wealthy compared to 50% of the world's population. If you can eat more than a bowl of rice a day, if you drove in a car, or even if you get to take public transportation, you are wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. And we must understand that those who are financed, we cannot take our financial privilege and flaunt it in the faces of those who have less than we do. We must be conservative in a reasonable way so that we are not boastful about our blessing. And that's both abroad. You know, when we go abroad, we go to the mission trip. There's certain watches I won't wear when I'm preaching in Indonesia. There's certain suits I won't wear when I'm preaching. We have a way about us that says we're going to be modest. We're going to be moderate in the way in which we present ourselves because we don't want to stir up the flesh of the individuals that we're ministering to and get them focused and get them seeing us as simply a source of finances. It can cause a lot of trouble on the mission field. But you know what? It's the same thing here at home. You cannot flaunt your blessings in the faces of those who have less. We've got to think this way. And then finally, the last principle is free enjoyment. In the context of the aforementioned principles, if you keep these things in mind and you, are, you adhere to these things, you have the full freedom to maximize the privileges of the wealth that God has given you. Don't think that it is ungodly to enjoy what you have. Amen? Amen. 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 Listen, we're going back to the land of blessing this year. We're going back to the blessing.
We're going back to the blessing. But all, the, all I sense God wants to do in you today is open up your heart. Open up your heart. God wants to give you more. God has more for you than you thought. More for you than you need. And I thought, you know, I know you just felt like it's my obligation to give to God and be faithful to him and just do it. And, and then I'm just going to be happy with whatever I have. Because we've talked so much about sowing, but not enough about reaping. But now it's time for you to reap. Now it's time for you to reap. It's time for you to reap. And all God needs you to do is open your heart to it. Say, Lord, how do you want to do it? Give me a generational blessing mentality. Give me a vision to take the wealth and riches that you put in my house and to manifest them. Some of you, I just sense it so strongly. There's books you've got to write. And I know some of you have been saying for years, I know I'm going to write this. No, no, no. You need to start writing tomorrow. You need to get over that mentality that says, oh, I'm nobody. Nobody wants to hear from me. Forget that. Songs you've got to sing. Whatever it is, the wealth and riches that God puts in you, ask him for a vision. God, give me a vision to manifest this and focus me on the kingdom so that I don't get so lost trying to pursue my own vision that I leave behind your vision. God, give me your vision, a vision for your house. God's going to do it. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I speak your blessing over this house today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, right now, we renounce the poverty mindset. Some of you here have believed that you're broke. You've always been broke. You're always going to be broke. There's nothing you can do about it. See, I'll never have more. I don't have enough education. I'll never have more. I messed up too much stuff in my youth. I'll never have more because nobody gives me enough opportunity. I'll never have more because my parents never had more. Whatever it is, break that off of your mind and heart right now. Just renounce it. Renounce it. Renounce it. Enough to live. Enough to give. Enough to leave an inheritance for your children. Enough to support the work of the Lord. Enoughness. It's in your house. Wealth, riches, and righteousness. You're never going to get so big in your head that you think that now you're above where the common people are. I declare it in Jesus' name. Sometimes people get wealthy and then think, well, tithing doesn't apply to me anymore. No, I, I just break that junk off your mind and heart. It's not going to happen to you. It's not going to happen. Wealth and riches are in your house, but your righteousness endures forever. You're going to break off that victim mentality. Well, here's why I'm broke. Because this happened and that happened and that. Break that off of you right now. Break that off of you right now. Let God give you a vision. But, but this is what they did to me. Forget what they did to me. Think about what he did for you. He gives you the power to create wealth. He gives you the power to create wealth. But not, you're not going to clamor after wealth and riches. That's not your focus. Your focus is not wealth and riches. You're simply opening up your heart and saying, God, give me a vision. And the vision is not for money. The money is for the vision. That's what provision is. Pro means for. For vision. The vision. God wants to give you a vision to make a difference in the earth. His descendants are mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. They're mighty in the land, meaning they do something, not just that they have something. God's going to give you a vision to do something that's going to change people's lives. To do something, to give the goods. There's goods, there's riches on the inside of you. There's wealth, there's treasure on the inside of you. But you've got to give us the goods. Some of you aren't giving us the goods. You've locked up those treasures on the inside of yourself and said, it's for me and only me. Nobody else gets to drink from this well but me. God gives me insights. I'm not sharing them with nobody because I'm humble. I'm so humble, I take the stuff God gives me and I eat it up for me, myself, and I. And that's humility. That's not humility. Give us the goods. you got to begin to bring out the treasure. Right now in Jesus' name, I just break that poverty mentality off of your mind and heart. I break it in the name of Jesus. I release your heart and mind to begin to reach for new vision, for new wisdom. God is opening up your heart and mind, and he's giving you vision, and he's giving you wisdom, and he's giving you confidence. He's giving you competence. 
He's paving the way right now. Paving the way right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And he sees your giving. Many of you have been faithful to give. You've been faithful in your giving. You've been faithful in your giving. And God has not forgotten. God will not be in debt to you. God will not owe you. He will not be in debt. God is going to bless you financially because of your faithful giving. God is just. And he will not forget the faithful giving of his people. And I speak blessing right now in Jesus' name. And I command your mind to come back into alignment with the blessing right now in Jesus' name. The blessing, the blessing, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord. I just release the blessing of the Lord over you. I release it. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. I declare it. God will make, God will cause the enemies that come against you to come at you in one direction, but flee from you in seven. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be the top and not the bottom. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Stand up on your feet now and just begin to declare it. Open your mouth and begin to give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you for it, God. We thank you for it, God. There's increase. Some of you felt like, Lord, it's selfish if I ask for more increase. No, God wants you to prosper more. It's not selfish. Come on, open your mouth. Say something to the Lord. Talk out loud. Lay hold of the blessing. Say, God, I receive it. God, I receive it. God, I receive it, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you for it, Jesus. We give you all the praise for it, God. We give you all the glory, Lord. God, we're going to see kingdom businesses, kingdom businesses, kingdom businesses, kingdom businesses, businesses born in this house, businesses born in this house. Release them now in the name of Jesus. I release them now. I call out the kingdom entrepreneurs. I call out that entrepreneurial spirit, especially over the women of the house. There's an entrepreneurial spirit coming on the women of the house right now. The Proverbs 31 anointing. The scripture says she considers a field and buys it. And with the prophet, she plants a vineyard. She holds flax and wool in her hand. And with the prophet, she feeds her family. She, her hand grasps the distaff and her fingers, fingers grasp the spindle. I'm telling you that anointing, that Proverbs 31 anointing is coming on the women of this house. There's some mighty entrepreneurs in this house. Mighty entrepreneurs in this house. Mighty entrepreneurs. If you just feel that stirring in your heart, that God's called you to be one of those mighty kingdom entrepreneurs, come up to this altar right now. Everybody else just begin to worship the Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Just flood this altar. Come on over. Yes, Lord. Writers, writers. Also writers, you need to be activated in your writing. Come on up here. Just stretch up your hands to the Lord and say, God, I receive it now. Writers and recording artists, recording artists. Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Father, release that anointing right now in the name of Jesus. Release it at this altar right now in the name of Jesus. Release it, God. Release it. The blessing, God. The blessing. The blessing. The blessing. The blessing. The blessing. The blessing. The entrepreneurial blessing. In Jesus' name, I release it into your life. The hands of a writer, I release it. I release it. I release it. I release it. The ability to, to record. Songwriters, I release it. I release it. Come on, open your mouth and begin to declare it at this altar. Break free of every hindrance in your mind. Break free of every hindrance in your heart. Break free of every lie of the devil that says it's greed, it's materialism. You're not going to walk in that. It's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. Rewrite magazine. I speak blessing over it right now in the name of Jesus. I say that God is going to prosper it. I speak blessing over it to prosper in every way in the name of Jesus. Come on, church. Just a couple more minutes. Just pray. Jesus, Lord. In Jesus' name, come on, continue to pray.
Right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release the excellence that God has put in you. I release you to be excellent. I release you to release that excellence. I authorize you right now. All of the excellence that God has put on the inside of you is coming forth right now. I call it forth right now. I call it forth. Every endeavor, kingdom endeavor, every act prompted by your faith, every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith, every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith, God will fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. And I break the power of unbelief from over your minds and hearts. I break that power of unbelief that keeps you locked up in a prison of poverty in the name of Jesus. I release a flood of faith. I release a flood of encouragement. I release a flood of excellence and a flood of vision and a flood of wisdom in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, God. Yes, Lord. Yeah, come on. Give God a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise. Lord, we give you a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. The shift has happened. You got it? I just sense that something has shifted today for some of you. It's going to be different now. It's going to be different now. You're going to go out and think different. You're going to go out and do different. You're going to have different now. I declare it in Jesus' mighty name. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Father, I speak your blessing over every son and daughter of this house that you placed in this place. I speak your blessing over each and every one. And I, pros- I speak blessing to prosper in every way. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.